Please remember, the information in our podcast could be a trigger for some people. If you or someone you know has been affected by childhood sexual abuse, the Dublin Rape Crisis 24-Hour Helpline is 1-800-77-8888. Hello, I'm Joyce. I'm June. And I'm Paula. We're the Kavanagh Sisters, and we'd like to welcome you to our series of podcasts where we continue to shine a light on childhood sexual abuse and its impacts. Today's podcast, we're going to be talking to JP O'Sullivan. He's the Network and Communications Manager, and Anne Mara, the Education Manager for NECPATHS. NECPATHS is Mercy Efforts for Child Protection Against Trafficking with the Hospitality Sector. NECPATHS is a social justice project. It's developed as a response to the growing prevalence of human trafficking and the exploitation of people for profit in Ireland. The organisation work is collaboration with private statutory and non-statutory agencies, such as the Garda Síochána and the Department of Justice and Equality, to counter human trafficking by delivering anti-human trafficking training for frontline professionals working in the areas of healthcare, social work, law enforcement and immigration. Could you start by telling me a little about the project? So the project started in 2013. There was a conference in New York and two Sisters of Mercy attended it and it was on the status of women. At the conference itself there were presentations by a number of agencies but some who had been working for years with the hospitality industry, the hotel sectors and to counter trafficking. On return to Ireland it was identified that there was nothing in Ireland similar to what was happening in the States. So MacPaths was founded. I was shocked that uh, trafficking happens here. I seen a documentary a long time ago and it was girls taken from abroad and put up in homes here and moved when the police got on. And I never thought for one second that it would apply to children in Ireland. The definition of trafficking and the one that is internationally recognised, it says that if you move or harbour a child for any purpose of exploitation or intended exploitation should be regarded as child mm-hmm. trafficking. So if somebody moves a child from upstairs in a bedroom to downstairs to the sitting room or with the intention of exploiting the child, then that's child trafficking. It's not just the child that's moved, I suppose, in the back of a car up to the north or across to the UK or halfway around the world. It's any intended exploitation. What got you into this work? Like, why are you involved in yeah. it and passionate about it? Anne? I was sexually exploited as a child. Okay. And I think that's my own personal conviction that has given me, I think, the passion and perseverance to do this work. But also, I really, I suppose it has shaped my life because all I've ever done is fight against injustices of one kind or another. And I lived overseas for the best part of 20 years and came back to Ireland four years ago. And this opportunity presented itself and it just clicked with me. And I'm a teacher by profession and I always uh, believe in the power of education and raising awareness and opening up conversations and getting people talking about the hard things. And it just ticked all the boxes um, for me. Yeah. A calling. Yeah, I describe it like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And what about you, JP? I suppose mine goes back to when I was in college and studying and all that crap and heard the story 150 million times. But <laughs> <laughs> I was yawning. <laughs> <laughs> like every day. We had a chance to do a placement. So we had to do 14 week social work, student social worker placement. And I went to India with family links. I went out for dinner with a gang of friends in India who were mostly Irish, to be honest, they were all on placements of some sort. It was after the dinner, we were going from the, the restaurant, which is on the roof down to the ground floor, and all the girls got in the lift and they went down and we hung back and two lads arrived, two local lads, and one of them said, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. And they said, oh, we're all going for birthday drinks, do you want to go? We were like, yeah, yeah, sure. We got to the ground floor and the doors of the lift opened and they saw all the girls waiting for us and they said they're not invited. And the girls, being Irish girls, told them where to go. And we got a taxi to the bar. The minute we went inside the door of the bar, and it was a child brothel, and children were coming out of rooms, and they had rags, chloroform rags, over their mouths. And it was toddlers. It was every age of a child. I turned to my buddy Kevin, I said, we're getting out of here. And he said, yeah. So we turned to leave, and somebody that was in our circle of friends stayed. The person who stayed had a professional, I suppose, interaction with children on a daily basis. That stayed with me. And I just thought that abuser is not just that monster that's appearing in the trench coat, hiding in the bushes in the park. It's people around us. um, And it's people in our own communities and neighbourhoods. I suppose when I saw what Mechpaths was doing in Ireland, I thought, yeah, I want a piece of that. You work with hotels only? Really, it's to prevent hotels being exploited so it's not to say that hotels are part of this problem it's just that unfortunately there's some of the outlets that can be used to take children to pass children through Anne and I joined almost three years ago so we moved it really from just working with individual hotels to working with some of the biggest hotel groups in Ireland so we partnered with Prem Group we work with Delata we work with the Glen Eagle Hotel Group and work with Trigon and just before just the outbreak of COVID, we were fortunate enough to reach an agreement with another industry leader to deliver the training to 60,000 members in the country over the coming 12 months. As we found ourselves, I suppose, expanding outwards to hotels, we were getting um, knocks on the door and calls as well to say, you know, we're working in private sector um, industry and we think we have a bit of a problem as well. Could you have a look at it for us? See if we can build a solution together. So we've grown outwardly. What sector, JP, are you talking about? So we're talking about recruitment sectors, people being recruited online for jobs that aren't actually what the jobs are. So ads being placed maybe for online social media superstars of the future. Advertise our brand, you'll get followers, you'll get known and you'll get that fame that a lot of, I suppose, people are seeking now online. And Not us. Then, no, <laughs> nor us. <laughs> so when I suppose people looked at where those ads were coming from, it was identified that the, the source of the ads was actually IP addresses linked to the distribution of abuse images or images of child sexual exploitation. And that's another thing that we've been looking at is just how the survivors and victims are represented across various channels, like the media a term that's in common usage and it's child pornography. I know, we have a and, big issue with that as well. There's no yeah. children in grubby rooms anywhere making porn. No, I mean. no, absolutely. Yeah, while we started with hotels, the collaboration from hotel groups has grown greatly. It started out maybe 
a challenge for some who saw it as an attack on industry, but some people might have seen it could damage a brand if they were seen to be associated with the project like ourselves. Um, but really it's putting protections in place rather than responding to a need. Out of the States in the last 12 months, we've seen survivors of trafficking returning to almost the scene where they've been trafficked and successfully suing hotel groups who knew that this was happening and did nothing to help them. Are there Irish children involved in this trafficking? Yep, yep. Um, and you have numbers? There's numbers pushed out. So we have reports every year from the Department of Justice who get their data from the guards. And those numbers are quite small. So at the moment, our national reports are saying 60 to 70 people are being identified every year. And only sort of 5 to 7% of those are children. But when we look at the statistics out of Northern Ireland, 25% of all their victims are children. So there's a better identification rate and there's actually a prosecution rate in the north, whereas down here we don't have that. There was actually a report out recently from the OSCE that did a country visit and the, at the end of their time in Ireland, their greatest finding was that children were not being identified in Ireland as victims or potential victims of trafficking. And So they're reckoning 60 to 70 people, not just like that's a combination of children and adults. Yeah. Is it male and female or is it all female? It's mixed. Now, the majority are women and girls. Yeah, they're the numbers that are being presented. Where are they getting those numbers from? Those numbers are coming from the Department of Justice, who are getting them from Garda Stats. But then we have other reports coming out from, say, Interpol and Europol that are saying, you know, you've got a huge, huge problem. Those numbers are not representative. It's tip of the iceberg stuff. Every year, there's a report published. It's called the TIPS Report, the U.S. State Department. And they profile every country in the world and basically look at human trafficking, how, they're, how the country is managing it. And their report is places countries on a three-tier system. So <clears throat> consider you've tier one, tier two, tier three. Tier one is sort of countries know they have a problem and they're doing something about it. Tier two is countries know they have a problem and are doing little about it. And tier three is basically for countries that are completely ignoring the problem and are not responding at all at all. Ireland is on tier two at the moment. Right. We know um, and we're ignoring it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah to be honest, I'd be shocked if we were doing something about it because we don't mm. have a history of doing anything to protect our kids. No. And, you know, it's, I suppose this might be a bit of a simplistic view on my part, but I think, you know, with, with anything, if you admit that you have a problem, then you have to do something about it. And yeah. to do something about it, you have to spend money. And like, I mean, investing money into anti-trafficking doesn't bring money back to the, to the revenue in Ireland. It yeah. takes from it. But really where the, the problem in Ireland is, is around identification. Potential victim of child trafficking can be identified only if they come into contact with immigration. So anybody within the borders of Ireland that's moved for the purpose of exploitation as a child cannot be identified. There's nobody out there looking necessarily for them. No, only if they try to move them out of the country. Into or out of the country. Yeah. And the purposes of your work and all, where is your focus? Like it seems to be around the hospitality. I know it's expanded slightly, but is that because that's kind of one of the few places you have a chance of catching them? I think the main focus of the, the project really is around raising awareness and educating people about the fact that child trafficking takes place in the world, but it's also 
um, evident here in Ireland. And I think that's our biggest challenge. And the reason we work with the hospitality industry specifically is because the, the hotels do provide a certain level of privacy and anonymity. And traffickers will exploit that and will take advantage of that. And so, as I said, our first overriding obstacle is that people don't know what's happening. People don't know the name of this issue, child trafficking. And it is an issue that is increasing in prevalence here in this country. I think so, even if people do know about it, they're not really relating it to Ireland, you know, unless they're important. That's exactly right. And people will say to me, oh, you work for that? You're doing, you're, what are you doing? You're educating. But, but doesn't that happen in Thailand and Vietnam and sex tourism? And, and it's just, I think our biggest job is really having kinds of conversations like this and talking about it and naming it. Because if people don't know about a particular topic and don't know how to name it, they're not going to see it, right? In regards to foster kids, on a few occasions, the news talking about foster kids can go missing and just nobody knows, they just disappear. Would it be the likes of foster kids that are easily exploited into trafficked? Absolutely. And that is the hallmark, I think, of any trafficking victim is that they have an inherent vulnerability. It is widely accepted that a lot of child victims of trafficking can come from dysfunctional family backgrounds, homes where there's domestic abuse. But that's not to say that every child doesn't have some kind of vulnerability, whether it be their naivety or their age. Online grooming has a huge part to play in trafficking in this country. And the fact that children are groomed online by supposed peers who they believe are friends their own age, when in fact, an older person who's masquerading intention is to exploit them right so when you go in and work um in the hospitality sector you're obviously informing them of what to look out for so can you tell us here so that it goes out there openly in the hope that anybody that could spot something that previously they wouldn't have noted like we'll go into hotels and we'll talk sometimes we talk to managers only sometimes it's hotel staff from across from across the sector so we'll break it down like if you're working at front of house you're on the reception desk you're going to see different possible signs of child trafficking than somebody, a staff member working in hotel rooms. Like I worked in an accommodation for a whole summer and I could, tell, I could write a book on the things I saw. You're privy to different signs to look out for dependent on what part of a hotel you work in. And right. so staff working in bars and restaurants and hotels will see different, possibly different signs than somebody who would be working in room service or accommodation. Right. And are you encouraging them to join up? For example, if you were working in the rooms and you said I could write a book on what I saw, it'd be a good move then to get the people that do the rooms talk to the, you know, the ones that work on the desk, so is that they have a joined up view a, of what's a going on. Up response. And that is exactly what we say, because when we go in and do this training, unless you have management bought into making this a priority area of training, And you've got all your staff trained so that if somebody arrives at the check-in desk and there's just a couple of red flags and the person checking them in is going, oh, I don't really know. But they can pick up the phone and say, do you remember that crowd mechpats we're in talking about Indercate? Would you just keep an eye on the room they're staying in? And then you talk to your colleagues in the bar and restaurants 
and just say, look, we're flagging this, just keep an eye, so that everybody, and this is what we always emphasize, everybody needs to be the eyes and ears on the ground. So what would they be looking for specifically? He's letting you in, JP, come on. Oh, thanks, Sam, um, thanks. I should drop the mic, go on. <laughs> is there as Anne said, front of house might spot something different to somebody in, say, room service or accommodation. So things at front of house might be a child checking in with an adult with no luggage, checking in when maybe they should be in school, it's not holiday time. The child may not be interacting with the person on the front desk. Because we do a bit of work with um, the colleges around Ireland as well, the hospitality colleges. And last year I was doing a workshop over in Shannon. And I had traveled down the evening before and one of the students in the class said, oh, where are you staying? And I said, I'm staying next door in the hotel. And she said, was so-and-so on reception? And I said, oh, yeah, that was the one that checked me in. And she said, I bet she got your life story without you even knowing it. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And she said, did she ask where you were coming from? I was like, yeah, yeah. How long are you staying? Where are you going next? What are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, oh, yeah, but it was just conversation. And she was like, no, like you get the whole story if you want to. So it's maybe children at the front desk and that person checking them in saying um, oh you're not in school are you on your holidays or where are you coming from and the child might know where they've come from or where they're going next they might be just totally disassociated not making eye contact they might be dressed inappropriately and then when we go to I suppose areas like housekeeping and um, being and housekeeping staff you know have I suppose the, the longest period of time to take information in they're changing the, the bedclothes they have time in the bathroom so encouraging those staff to look out for things like maybe a lot of technologies in the room where a child is staying, webcams, credit card machines, looking at maybe presence of alcohol or drugs in the room where there's a child registered, spotting that there's children's clothes in the room when a child may not have been registered or checked in at the same time as the adult. A lot of requests for additional towels or for mini bars to be restocked. So there's a lot of indicators that I suppose we present to different members of staff you can take all the indicators but you know that gut feeling we all have that something's not right yeah. if you have that then nine times out of ten you're right there's something something out of place Anne mentioned about educating and making people aware but the most important part is encouraging people to do something about it and that's the reporting part the guards would often say it was when you have a child at potential risk of being exploited or abused in some way a five second window to that child makes the world a difference so it's to act very very quickly the the guards have been very good to us in terms of helping to build reporting protocols and really offering advice on how to work with the hotel staff and mentioned getting that buy-in from management and that's hugely important because if you've got somebody in accommodation best will in the world and they're seeing things and they're like oh there's something definitely not right here but you know we don't have a reporting protocol in place like that's very challenging for the staff. We all have a responsibility to report any suspected incident of child abuse. Is it likely to be the case where people are considering reporting that they would be concerned about their own safety? Because I'm assuming the guys who are doing the trafficking aren't the ones you like to mess with. Absolutely. So how do people yeah. protect themselves and still protect the child they're worried about? Yeah, so what we say in the course of the training is to never intervene yourself. Like it's not your responsibility as an employee of a hotel or any other industry to intervene because you're putting yourself at risk, possibly putting the child at even more risk. I suppose the responsibility is to report, not to intervene and let the guards do their, their piece of work, which is the intervention piece. Right. 
And I think it's around also encouraging people to report um, and giving and equipping them with the necessary information to be able to do that. Because in our work with hotels and staff and management around the country, we've heard it over and over again. Similar stories to the likes of one hotel uh, manager saying that she had checked a man into a hotel room and about a half an hour later, a taxi pulled up to the front door and out stepped a girl that she said couldn't have been more than 18 years of age, but she was all done up with makeup and everything. And this man came down to the lobby and brought her up to the room. Now, the staff member on the front desk at the time before we had come in, she was like, I looked at that and she goes, I don't know, like, what if that family member is or what if it's not what I'm thinking it is? And do I have any grounds to report my suspicions? And I think it's really about allaying those fears and coming alongside and just saying, you know, if you have seen that, number one, you have a legal responsibility to report if you think imminent danger against a child, then you legally do have to report that. But also it's about going with that instinct and knowing how to report it. In an emergency, we say you call the guards 999-112 immediately. If you're iffy and you think, oh, I don't know, and you just need pick up the phone to your local Garda station and all of the hotels we work with have an existing relationship with their local Garda station anyway. Mm -hmm. So to be able to pick up the phone and just say, you know, this is what I'm seeing. What do you think? And it's up to the guards then. And then if you want to report anonymously, there is the Garda confidential hotline or there's a confidential email address that you can report as well. So there are three different options for reporting, but we would always say report. also assuming that if you're the one up in the room with the 18 year old and it is your your daughter you're not going to have an issue with somebody just checking in just to be sure i can't imagine you're going to insult a lot of people by just checking that out in this day and age well as a parent myself i would absolutely welcome increased protection around children on the premises of hotels absolutely and apart from hotels what can people in general do in terms of identifying or reporting any suspicions like that? There could be trafficking going on on my street. I wouldn't yeah. even know. But what are the things that the general public could do to help? You're right, you know, it, it can be happening anywhere, you know, on any street in the country. And there's a phrase or a term that's used about trafficking and it's hidden in plain sight. And that, you know, victims of trafficking are hidden in plain sight. They're not necessarily any longer, you know, the person that's in a back room tied to a radiator. People are being exploited for a series of things. You know, there's sexual exploitation, labor exploitation, forced begging, forced criminality, organ harvesting, forced marriage. So all of these things, you know, the forced labor happens out and about in our towns and our cities and our villages. It's being aware of maybe what to keep an eye out for. In the UK over the last number of years, just a heightened amount of people being exploited in you know, nail bars. Right. So people using nail bars, they're going in and they're just observing and seeing that you know the person doing their nails is not engaging with them. They're not talking to them. There's somebody maybe in charge of handling the money. The money's not allowed to be given to the, to the person that's doing the nails. Um, similar with car washes, you know, we see the signs for the car wash, five euro. If a car wash, like anything, if it's the price is too good to be true, then somebody's not benefiting from that. Um, somebody's possibly being exploited. And there's good. been you know, a lot of explorations of the fishing industries around the world. You know, people being employed on fishing trawlers, not getting paid. The only payment is maybe 
food at the end of the day or somewhere to sleep. So that's all stuff that's going on around us, but somebody's being exploited in the middle of it all. And what do you think needs to happen here? What would be the ideal outcome here in your line of work? What would you like to see? I suppose I'm going to ask Anne to feed in as well, but something that I oh, You're very good letting her talk. I'm half afraid not to. <laughs> Self-preservation is what that's called. So my own, I suppose, training background was I was originally um, a social worker. Oh, health them, were you? <laughs> no, I never went to the dark side of the agencies. <laughs> um, so I, I'd done a bit of work in mental health. And I suppose when I arrived to the project at the same time as Anne, it was looking at the national referral mechanisms. So who is appointed basically to identify the children at risk? I suppose the greatest gaps that we felt was social workers in Ireland. There is no social worker in Ireland trained to or assigned to child trafficking. And there are social workers assigned for unaccompanied minors, but none identified children at risk of being trafficked. So we entered an agreement or arrangement or partnership with Maynooth University to build a training module for their social work master students and social policy master students. I suppose number one, as Anne said, you know, learn about trafficking come to the realisation that it's happening in Ireland and then know how to respond or how to identify as well. So we planned to roll that out in March before all the COVID stuff kicked off. But we're actually rolling it out on Friday and Saturday this week. So we start teaching the module this week. Practical stuff like that. You know, you can talk about a problem till the cows come home, but you have to actually do something about it. You can't just sit in the boardroom and keep saying, oh, we have a problem. We should be doing something. I also think in this country, the only person who can identify an official victim of human trafficking is Angarda Siakana. And I think in other countries where it works really well is if healthcare professionals, GPs, nurses, doctors, teachers, social workers, if they're all trained to be able to recognize and can then feed that into a centralized referral mechanism or reporting system because right now it takes a Garda to be able to formally identify a victim so I think that really does need to be opened up far okay. beyond. Assuming you're only talking about adding modules to their current training it's not going to cost the earth to incorporate that into the various bodies who are dealing with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the training, number one, but it's also really ramping up our national referral mechanism. So the centralized place where suspicions or possible victims, that information would be fed into that centralized place. So both those things have to happen. Because like we're 30 years trying to get people to simply have conversations around sexual abuse. And identify through them conversations, how can this be tackled? Why is it so difficult? People don't like to talk about it. It's too uncomfortable. Some people feel it's because if you can say and trust the media when they portray perpetrators as monsters and the language they use, like they should be jailed, killed, they've no time for them. But using that constant language allows you to separate. You're looking for a monster. But when you actually realize that you are missing your brother, your father, or somebody close to you, well, then it becomes really uncomfortable. And absolutely, you don't want to talk about it. But as a nation, we've never been good at discussing sex in any shape or form. And to talk about child sexual abuse, you have to be able to engage in a conversation about what is abuse and what is child sexual abuse. 
and what happens to a child when they're abused. And we're not very good at that. Yeah, and I suppose that anything that happens to a child is very difficult to, to deal with crime-wise for adults in general. But also to think that somebody could harm a child and there's no known treatment out there that would prevent them from wanting to do that. So you're already up against an absolutely hopeless, repulsive situation. Mm. And people, if they can, they will just push that away. It's too savoury to deal with. They would rather leave it for somebody else to handle. And unfortunately, everybody does the same thing. So nobody's actually handling it. A lack of understanding. And there is a repression, though, I think, in the Irish psyche. The same as with your work. It's education. You need to educate everybody. And don't you think the important part of the education is with kids themselves? Words to be able to say, I don't feel comfortable with that. Yeah, absolutely. We were never taught that growing up. No, you mentioned that. It's like a dirty word. That's another problem. Mm. In so many different talks we've given with people saying, it's not right to be taking a child's innocence away. They shouldn't know that stuff. And we're going, do you not understand? There's a big difference between a child being innocent and a child being ignorant. And a child understanding emotions and their body does not remove anything from the child's innocence. Every child is taught to stop at the red band and wait for it to go green. Then why is it such a struggle? We've yeah, it's that our part. culture. The church yeah. instilled in us that yeah. sex and sexuality is dirty and an issue to be shamed of. Mm. I mean, and it was instilled in us and they did a bloody good job. It'll take a few generations. The Mm. next generation are a bit more freer. Pendulum sometimes has to swing too far in the other direction before you get some kind of balance. For the young people, it can appear sometimes that it's swinging too far in the other direction. They're just as lost as we are. Mm. But we'll eventually have to come back to some kind of middle ground. The whole topic is, is off the grid. The fact that the figures are so low for use doesn't surprise me because they're still in denial about sexual abuse figures. Mm-hmm. Even though they will acknowledge it's the most underreported crime, it doesn't mean anything because they still won't acknowledge the issue in terms of support. If somebody in the hotel spots that there's something going on, it looks a bit dodgy, they'd go report it, the guards turn up and there's definitely is something wrong and a child has been exploited. Where does that child go to get help? So the child is supposed to be met with by Tusla. <gasps> <Zed. laughs> um, they're supposed to be, I suppose, social work interventions are supposed to be put in place. But one of the biggest problems that we have around trafficking in Ireland is that there is no specialised unit for trafficked adults or children to be protected within. So adults are placed in direct provision if they're from outside of Ireland which itself brings a whole other concern around vulnerabilities and the risk of being re-trafficked. But children are supposed to be absorbed by Tusla. I know, and if the social workers in Tusla don't have any specific training around child trafficking, it presents itself with a unique set of circumstances that you wouldn't find with general child sexual abuse cases. There was a report that was published in October 2018 where Europol categorically came out and said that Nigerian girls are being moved from Nigeria to Ireland for the purpose of sexual exploitation. What happens to those children? There are no social workers qualified to deal with that specific issue of child trafficking Mm -hmm. in this country. If it was an Irish child, if they're being trafficked, uh, would there not be a missing person report? So that's your interpretation of trafficked. It could be parents who are selling their own children for sexual exploitation to the next door neighbour. 
right. not to go missing. I suppose it's important as well to look at, you know, where responsibility is resting in the country. Last year, we had made efforts to have a conversation with the Department of Children and Youth Affairs around child trafficking. And the message we got back from, um, from Minister Zappone's desk was, children who are trafficked in Ireland are not my responsibility. They're the responsibility what? of the Department of Justice. Jesus. Yeah, that was alarming and concerning and all of those other words that go with it. But I think it demonstrates, you know, the efforts in Ireland really to respond to the challenge that are there. These are children yes. who have individual horrific and horrendous experiences and they should not be bartering within politics shove yeah. them over to one department ah. back to the other like i mean you might have a child who's trafficked today age 17 and their birthday is tomorrow then they're an adult and they've not received the adequate services that the state is mandated to provide to them as children so there's a whole series of conversations <sighs> in that it's about responsibility recognition and responsiveness we're failing another generation i suppose a positive thing to focus on is that in ireland we have very robust laws in place around human trafficking and child trafficking in particular. So the laws are there. It's the implementation mm -hmm. of those laws that is the problem mm -hmm. yeah. and where the gap is. Do you have anybody in, in a position to help or assist in any way involved in this project? No. 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 We've made efforts to reach out to some and the responses haven't been favourable. And there seems to be an un unwillingness, like you said, to engage even in the conversation that it is a reality. Um, you know, we did run an event down in Cork last October and we were very well supported by the Department of Justice and the public event to raise awareness. But I suppose outside of that, we haven't had any engagement with TDs or anything. Any of the rape crisis centres or the domestic violence centres? Yeah. Yeah. Like we do link in with Cork Sexual Violence Centre, Mary Crilly down in Cork. Uh, yeah. um, and like we're part of Cork Against Human Trafficking down there. And like we do have a great network. There's some great people out there making huge efforts. Yeah. Um, so we do have good partners, I suppose, across the, the nonprofit sector and the guards are brilliant. But it looks like you're fighting the same battle mm. that we are. And I suppose it goes back to, again, the underreporting of it right mm -hmm. because if you say look this we're banging on about this is a growing problem um, and you're doing the same about child sexual exploitation yeah. and they're saying yeah but the numbers aren't reflecting that not really but it's in their interest for the numbers not to uh, you know because then they don't have to take action it took so long to get them to uh, commit to a second savvy and everything because for the same reason it will mean they'll have to put their money where their mouth is mm -hmm. and it nearly always comes back to money unfortunately yeah. and all of the centers that are up and running now and the ones who are specifically qualified to treat and support victims of domestic violence and sexual abuse and childhood abuse there's not one of them not on their last leg now but they can't even have their charity events to raise their funds yeah. so they're all they're at risk yeah mm -hmm. and what are they doing nothing mm. have either of you um personally been involved in liberating any children. Previous work that I would have done in Southeast Asia would have been involved in the, the rescue, uh, restoration, rehabilitation of children who've been trafficked for exploitation, but not in Ireland. I think, you know, we don't directly know the impact of our work. Right. Like we would have delivered the, the workshops and trainings to hotels and staff would say one particular case I'm, I'm thinking of, the HR manager before the, the workshop started stood up and said, you know, the reason we're doing this is we all remember that incident a couple of years ago with the man 
and everybody's nodding in the room. They'd said, you know, a man had checked in and later in the day, a child appeared um, in the hotel and was seen going to the room and the person who had booked the room or whatever got the child drunk. And it wasn't until your man himself passed out from drink that the child appeared in the bar naked looking for help. Ah, Jesus. Um, yeah. So at the time, you know, I suppose they saw the, the outcome was the child naked in the bar looking for, for help, but nobody knew what to look out for along the way. Um, like right. a child maybe wandering on their own through reception, um, a child going up the stairs on their own, a child not registered to that room. Hopefully we have been impactful in some way, even to prevent. Yeah. Um, an incident of exploitation oh you absolutely would but i just wondered had you got personal experience of it you know we're in a very very fortunate position to be the only project with a specific focus on child trafficking implementing or utilizing a a broader definition of what trafficking is than many other agencies statutory and non-statutory are using trying to raise that awareness that Child trafficking, as Anne said earlier, is not happening on the other side of the world. It's happening maybe in the street or the behind us or the house next door to us. Because this is a crime that penetrates people's homes, we have mm. the same issue. How do you get the message inside? And the only way you can do that is through the media and just keep plodding along, chipping away at it, raising awareness in whatever way you can, like mm-hmm. stuff like this. I think that national campaign around domestic abuse in this country has been incredibly powerful. Absolutely. I think it really has gotten into homes. Yeah. But you see, again, that subject is different. That's really easier to understand. Once you add the sex element into it, it moves into a different category altogether. Domestic violence is entwined with the sexual violence, but you don't hear mention of that. I mean, when the world came to an absolute standstill, domestic violence was still in the news, hitting the headlines mm. every day. We're, we're, we've a long way to go. You're doing a great job. This is a great thing to be doing, and it is opening up conversations, and That's it's it. drawn more and more people into the conversation. That's what makes the difference. Yeah. And making it palatable, making it an everyday conversation. It's not something to be hidden away. The difference we can see now between having a conversation with somebody on this podcast about their own abuse to what would have happened when we first start speaking out. I mean, there's poles apart and women are so much stronger and so much more vocal. Some of these girls who are speaking out are still in their 20s. I think it's amazing. That's the benefit of making it an everyday conversation because... Other people get strength from listening to survivors and they believe, well, I can do that as well. Like mm. It's not being ashamed. And, and the process just takes so, time. So is there anything else or anything really important that you feel really needs to get said that we haven't covered already? The ordinary Joe Soap out there, what should they be doing? I would say people need to be vigilant. People need to know that child trafficking is an issue in this country to be vigilant, to keep your eyes and ears open. And if you see something, or if you have a hunch that something is wrong, call the Gardaí. If you could tell the ideal connection in government, when we actually do have a government, who do you think would be? What department as an ally for you? We've done work with the Department of Justice. And as Anne said, you know, this really is a justice issue. It's also a children issue. It is. Like those two departments should be, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I would appeal to the Department of Children and Youth Affairs to actually say, you know what, 
there is a problem and we can do something about it or we can at least respond to it. I think, you know, to be a child in Ireland today when your representative body, your state department is not able to see you and doesn't necessarily want to see you. I think that's a terrible time to be a child in the country. So I would say justice, definitely collaboration with the Department of Children and Youth Affairs. And, you know, when we talk about, I suppose, the wider picture of of trafficking, it's looking at Departments of Foreign Affairs, um, looking at Departments of Immigration, the realisation that it's an issue. Everybody has the potential to be a victim of trafficking. It's not just the, the person, as we mentioned, you know, from a misfunctional or dysfunctional family background. Anybody can be trafficked. You know, it doesn't have to be a huge investment of money. You know, it's about conversations and it costs nothing to talk. It only takes one voice to make a difference. Yeah. Just me and JC. <laughs> P and P. <laughs> that has a certain ring to it. <laughs> We'd just like to take this opportunity to thank both yourself, JP, and Anne for coming on board and taking part in this podcast and shining a light on an issue an awful lot of people don't know much about. It's really important that we get that message out there and help make this a safe place for children. Nice one, thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening. Hopefully some of the information we've shared will resonate with you and bring you to a place where you can have compassion for yourself. Please know that no matter how you feel or how you respond to the abuse, it was normal. We're hopeful and optimistic that those in a position of power to bring about change will be moved into action so we can finally eradicate childhood sexual abuse. So please spread the word and share the information. The decision to heal from childhood sexual abuse places you on the most important journey of your life. You're in charge of this journey. Only you know what works for you and what doesn't. It takes as long as it takes because there's no rush in it and there's no fake in it. You have to feel it. And just as the ripple of pain that you're in goes out and impacts all of those around you, so does the healing. And the more you heal, the more everyone around you benefits from your healing. You've been listening to the Kavna Sisters podcast. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email the Kavna Sisters at gmail.com.